Bibles with you, I invite you to uh, join me in Mark chapter 5. We're going to do something a little interesting where we're going to look at the first half of this chapter this morning and then this evening when we return to uh, worship God again, we're going to look at the uh, the, the concluding uh, verses of this chapter. And so I invite you to hopefully come out here tonight and we will uh, t- take a look at this whole chapter in the book of Mark. Again, Mark chapter 5, starting Uh, in verse 1 here this morning. But before we jump into the text there, let me ask you a question. Would you have liked to, perhaps, you know, if we could have a time sheet or a time machine invented to go back in time and just to, you know, visit Jesus for a day, just to go and notice what was going around during those times? I think a lot of us would love the opportunity to do that, right? We could get a front row seat to you know, all of the miracles that he's performing, the healings that's going on, the, the, the demon possession, how he, uh, he, he sends the unclean spirits away. But also just to see the impact that he had on those people's lives, to see men and women have their lives restored. That would be a great, great thing to see. But then there are other aspects of Jesus's life that, well, you know, I might not want to be around for those things. You know, have you ever gotten yourself into a situation where you've said, you know, if I ever, you know, get in that opportunity again, I'm not going to do that. You know, what was I thinking? I'm never going to do this again. I remember a few years ago going to a conference in, the, in downtown Detroit. And uh, if you've ever been there, if you're familiar with this, there's this great giant hotel structure called the GM Renaissance Center downtown. And this is, you know, a, a hotel. It's a, a mall, a restaurants, a conference center, all of these great things. And so when you have a conference there, you know, everything is centrally located to that building. Well, that night, uh, many of us went to the Detroit Tigers versus the New York Yankees ball game, and the busing took us there from the, the conference center to the, to the Tiger Stadium or America Park, and we watched the ball game, and about 11 o'clock at night, we got back to uh, the hotel, the Renaissance Center. Now, what I didn't tell you was is that, uh, that my uh, company, the, the school district I was working with, th- there was an incentive that if you stayed at the Doubletree, which was about a mile away, you'd get a free night and, uh, because they had overbooked the, the conference center there down at the Renaissance Center. And I was the lucky person who got to stay at the Doubletree. So uh, I was about a mile away from uh, where I was supposed to be, where I was staying. And uh, the busing, again, took us to, after the game to the Renaissance Center, and I was a mile away from where I was staying. Again, 11 o'clock at night. What do I do? I've never hailed a, tab, a taxi cab in my life. And, you know, I don't know how that works, and so I decided to walk. And so I walked the, the 20 minutes, the one mile, downtown Detroit in the middle of the night, not really knowing where I'm going, knowing that that hotel that I'm staying at is somewhere in this general direction, right? I said to myself, if I ever put myself in that situation again, I will never do that again. And I probably, that's probably a lot like what the early disciples of Jesus thought when they were following Jesus, right? They didn't know at any time that, that something uh, could have happened because there were people constantly threatening Jesus, uh, constantly plotting to take his life, constantly uh, saying that they were going to stone him. It seems like Jesus's life was so action-packed that there was never a dull moment 
Well, let's take ourselves to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Again, this is this, this story of this man who was possessed by a demon, uh, the demoniac man. And this lesson is not, this morning is not about demons or demon possession, but it would be good for us to say a few things about that this morning. You know, demons were a first century phenomenon. Uh, we never read about them in the Old Testament, and we know that it does not happen today. But there's a lot of, them, a lot of things that we know, or excuse me, that we just don't know about them, their, their origins and such. Uh, but uh, a lot of scholars believe that, that those uh, demons in the first century that we read about in the New Testament were either uh, fallen angels. A lot of people think that they were fallen angels, or a lot think they were just the uh, disembodied souls, the evil disembodied uh, souls of, of humans, of individuals. But again, uh, in this time period, in the New Testament, it was apparent that they were around for a reason. Are you familiar with the uh, Washington Generals? You know, the Washington Generals is sort of that, that fake team that uh, is always playing the Harlem Globetrotters. And the only reason that they exist was to lose to the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, that, that's sort of like what demons were, demon possession in the first century. They only existed so that God could show his power over the supernatural, over demons. Even in, in the Old Testament, uh, in the minor, uh, the minor prophet Zechariah, he said this in Zechariah 13, verse 2. He said, you know, there's going to come a day when I will remove all the prophets and the unclean spirits from the land. And, of course, we understand that to be uh, in the first century. Uh, uh, as soon as uh, God had set forth everything that he needed to do with all the books being written, all of his inspired words being now uh, uh, to man, given to man, the miraculous age no longer existed and no longer were demon possession uh, needed to, uh, again, be in existence. And so uh, as we understand that, though, we understand that here in Mark chapter 5, uh, this demon-possessed man is an adversary to Jesus. But also we're going to notice that not only he was, but also humans as well. You know, uh, this is uh, the only time where, you know, humans uh, can also uh, be uh, either intentionally or unintentionally a hindrance to Christ. And so as we examine this lesson, we want to notice how men can be just as antagonistic to Jesus. You know, uh, so let's notice some of these different responses that we see here uh, within this account. And so let's read through this and notice a few things. Again, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we notice... They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and gashing himself with stones. So we see Jesus and his, his disciples, they come uh, on the uh, southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. This is Gentile territory, and they find this man who is possessed with demons. He, he's living among the tombs. Uh, this, this man, uh, they, they try to uh, shackle him, they try to chain him at, at all times, but they could not subdue him. He's like a caged animal. They, they could not subdue him. As some of the other accounts, Matthew and Luke also write about this, and they say that, that he's under guard. You know, people are staying up, watching this man, guarding him. 
He's scarring himself up. He's cutting himself. You know, just imagine what he might look like. Luke even tells us that he's not wearing clothing. Right? This man is out of his mind and he's putting great fear in the people. He's screaming in the middle of the night, terrifying people. This is no man that we would want to run into in the middle of the night. And he's so extremely violent that even Matthew's account says that no one would pass towards that way, towards those tombs. Well, notice in verse 6 as we continue, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. We notice in that, uh, that first verse that we read that, uh, that this demon-possessed man ran to Jesus and bowed down towards him. Now, if you're reading out of the New King James or the King James, your translations might say that he worshipped Jesus. But he's not worshipping as in a sense that we are doing this morning. But this is just a, rever- a reverential thing. He's bowing down. He knows who this man is. He knows that this is Jesus, the Son of God. And he says in the next verse... What do I have to do with you? Do not torment me. Leave me alone. Well, as Jesus is cleansing him of these evil spirits, you know, he asks him, what is your name? And he says, I am Legion. Uh, how many is that? You know, we just don't know. But uh, apparently 2,000 swine ran into uh, the sea. You know, maybe it was that many, but maybe not. Again, we just don't know. But Jesus begins to cast these demons out of this man. Uh, but the, the, these demons did not want to go Uh, Again, out into the abyss, but they said, cast me into these swine. Let us at least go into these pigs. Notice verse 14. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down clothed and in his right mind, and the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave the region. This great miracle just took place in front of these people. And what is their response to Jesus? Get out of here. Get out of our region. Get out of our country. But then notice in verse 18 through 20. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had, be, who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how you had, or how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This man who was demon possessed, who had his life taken away from him, but given back to him by Jesus, He was thrilled. I want to go with you, Jesus. I want to uh, tell everyone that I see. I want to be there next to you as you do other miracles. I want to be with you. But Jesus tells him, no, I want you to go home. I want you to go to your family and friends. And I want you to tell them what I have done for you. 
And he did that. He went and told others. And so as we've uh, reflected on these 20 verses, uh, what I want to talk for us uh, this morning about is as we uh, as we uh, analyze three different scenarios about how people today very similarly respond to Jesus. And the first one I want us to notice are the demons. Again, notice in Mark chapter five, verses six and seven. Notice this once more. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. And then seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice. He said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? Isn't that interesting that in verse six, he runs to Jesus. But then in verse seven, he's saying, get out of here. Get away from here, Jesus. And again, that's not uncommon of how people respond today inside the church and outside of the church. You know, many times we can be our own worst enemy because some are drawn to Jesus. We're drawn to Jesus, but yet we're still fearful of something. Something is holding us back. See, we, we, we know we need to come to Jesus, but we're afraid, right? Sometimes we will psych ourselves out of doing things for that sake. You know, have you ever needed a procedure done? Something that you've never been through before and maybe you research it. Maybe you ask somebody that's gone through it and they tell you, yeah, uh, you know, it it can hurt. And, uh, you know, it really gets you uh, stressful about that time. And you go to your appointment that day and you're stressing out and you're worried and you've got to have it done. But then after it happens, you're like, wow, that wasn't so bad at all. Uh, I didn't feel a thing. We know that the Bible says in Acts chapter four, verse 12, that a salvation alone is found in Jesus. You know, we need Jesus, but do we know what that means, right? Because some are going to say, well, if I accept Jesus as my Savior, then am I going to have to give up things? Uh, I want him to be my Savior, but, you know, there are some things that, uh, that I might not be able to do anymore. You know, again, I, I want to go near him, but yet I am fearful, You know, the brethren want me to commit to four hours a week of fellowship and Bible study and and worship, you know, uh, morning worship and and Bible class and evening worship and Wednesday evening services, four hours uh, out of 168 total hours a week. You know, that's just 2% of my time uh, that that the brethren are asking me to at least attend and to have fellowship with one another. Again, people are drawn to Jesus because they know that he is the son of God. But yet too afraid to obey the gospel and, or, or to fully commit to him. I know we've studied this passage uh, in, in the past together. But in Acts chapter 24, you know, Paul is imprisoned and he's before Felix, the governor of that time. And you remember, you know, Felix is intrigued about some of the things that, that Paul knows. He even says that, uh, that he has an exact knowledge of the way uh, more than some. And he's married to a Jewess a woman by the name of Drusilla. And, and from time to time, he would call on Paul to come and speak to him. He wanted to hear the things that Paul had to say because he, he knew that Paul uh, had some great things to say about Jesus. But remember, when, when, in this instance, when he comes and preaches to him in verse 25, the Bible says that Paul preached to Felix about the uh, righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. 
And that was a, a lesson that this man needed to hear because Drusilla, although he was married to her, this was her third husband. Right? Uh, she was married to a couple of other uh, men. And so he needed to hear this lesson about self-control, uh, about righteousness, uh, about the judgment to come. And you remember what Felix, what his response was to Paul's preaching? He says there in verse 25, go away for the present. And when I find time, I will summon you. Right? This was a man who he was drawn to Jesus, yet uh, he was fearful to uh, get these things out of his life. And we cannot be afraid to commit. Right? As Christians, as non-Christians, we cannot be afraid to commit to Jesus. Uh, often what we put off, you know, we, we know that we must do. And we know that Jesus is good. And we know the good things that he can do for us. You know, some are drawn to Jesus Yet fearful. Well, let's notice this second instance. So let's notice the townspeople. Again, in Mark chapter 5, verse 17, it says, And they began to implore him to leave their region. Again, I find this hard to believe. Uh, this great miracle takes place. This man uh, who had been living in the tombs, who was keeping them up at night, scaring the people, uh, he is, uh, his problems are solved. He, he's been healed. And yet they want Jesus to leave. Were they so blinded of, of their own self-interest that they couldn't see the great deeds that were done? You know, maybe they're thinking about the, the, their finances, right? There are 2,000 pig that could have been sold in the market that have now been destroyed in the sea. Uh, but their reaction, again, go, leave us, get out of here. But this man, this man, he was given his life back. You know, he can return to his family if he has a family. Maybe he has a wife. Maybe he has children, parents. What is that worth to that family? But again, all the townspeople can think of are themselves, and they're upset. And again, do you think that there are people who respond like this today? See, they very well may recognize that Jesus can do good things, but they'd rather not have him around. You know, maybe it's when we're in our offices or our places of business and, and maybe religion comes up as a topic, but we quiet down. Right? We don't want to talk about that. Or if we're in school and maybe we know that, you know, someone gets picked on because they're a Christian. Again, we don't speak up because we don't want to uh, be picked on as well. Some plead with Jesus to leave. You know, if, you, if you would uh, turn to Jonah chapter four. You know, we, we, we uh, you know, talk about Jonah a lot, right? Especially with our children. It's a great story of, the, of this man who was called by God to go to preach to, to Nineveh, this wicked city. Uh, and of course, he doesn't want to do that. So he goes in the opposite direction, gets on a ship that's sailing towards Tarshish to get away from Nineveh as fast as he can. Of course, God knows where he's going. He knows where he is. He sends that great storm upon the sea. Uh, Jonah is thrown into the water. Yeah, he's swallowed by that great fish. And of course, chapter 2 tells us that, uh, that, that Jonah pleads for God to forgive him, to give him a second chance. Jonah chapter 3, he's given that second chance. Uh, he preaches to Nineveh, and Nineveh repents. And that's kind of the, the, uh, the just of the story. Uh, that's kind of where we end it uh, with our children. But notice in chapter 4 of Jonah, notice how uh, this book ends. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, uh, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Well, what is he angry about? Look at verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? 
Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah knew that God was a great and gracious God, and he knew that if they, the people, his enemies repented, that God would spare their lives. Jonah wanted to flee. Uh, he wanted Jesus, excuse me, he wanted God to, uh, to leave them alone. But uh, again, some people will plead with Jesus to leave. But the Ninevites were given their lives back because they repented. They heard that great message from God through Jonah's preaching. And the Ninevites were given their lives back. But we notice Jonah, he's upset, right? He's just like the townspeople here in Mark chapter 5. He is upset. See, Jesus granted the townspeople's request and left. He left the area. He never forced himself on anyone. And what an opportunity they missed. Right? Perhaps others in that area of the Gerasenes could have used the, the healing power of Jesus. He transformed the, the, that terrifying man in that territory into a normal man that who was now clothed. He was now of his, his sane mind. Yet all they could think about was you know, that lost revenue that they had. And this is one of the greatest of tragedies, friends, is when we ask Jesus to leave. Well, the last point that we want to notice is the former uh, demoniac. Again, some will accept the, the mission of Jesus. How are we going to respond to Jesus? Some will accept that mission to Jesus. Again, look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he will have mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus has done for him. And everyone was amazed. Right? This man who was formerly demon-possessed says, Jesus, I want to come with you. I've seen such great things uh, here today that I want to be with you and I want to help you. But Jesus says, you're not coming with me, but rather go home and tell others around me. You know, Wednesday night, I presented... Uh, house to house, heart to heart for us. Uh, those, uh, that newsletter publication that's in the back table, and you're welcome to pick up more of those uh, to hand out. But this is a, a program that is used to help to uh, minister to the community around us. You know, uh, we don't have to go halfway around the world like Jonah to evangelize. And we don't have to wait to go halfway around the world to evangelize. We can evangelize our own family, our our own friends. That is your mission. Your home is your mission. That's what Jesus is telling this man here. Go home. Preach to them of the great things that I have done for you. You know, I've seen this in churches before where, uh, you know, they they might say, hey, a year from now, we're going to go to the Bahamas or we're going to go to Jamaica or Hawaii and we're going to do a a short term mission trip. So start saving your money and people get lined up to participate in this. and, And they're very encouraged to do that. But that same preacher might ask, well, hey, next Saturday, why don't you come out and we'll go do some door knocking in the community. And no one shows up. Right. Something is wrong with that mindset. You know, we need to go home and tell people what we have done for them, those around us. Uh, again, I need you to go home and tell the, tell the people what I have done for you. Uh, we might not be able to follow Jesus into a foreign land, but we can follow Jesus right here at home. And, of course, one of the most powerful tools that we have to bring others to Christ is just exactly what this former demoniac man had, and that was his own personal account. He has a great story to spread and to tell others. You know, 
I know I've told uh, mine as well from time to time, you know, and, uh, you know, how I, I personally didn't grow up in the church. Uh, I didn't grow up in any sort of church. You know, I was a nun, uh, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E. I, I didn't have a religion growing up. And it wasn't until, you know, I met a, a girl in my sociology class uh, back in Michigan that I became familiar with the church. Of, of course, uh, that girl uh, lived through her sophomore year in the state of Kansas and probably never expected to leave Kansas, probably expected to stay in Kansas her whole life. And then spent a year in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where uh, the job didn't work out for her father, which brought them to Michigan. And so while, uh, you know, we met and started conversing and was, uh, uh, you know, was uh, given the opportunity to go to, to services and to study the Bible with her, you know, eventually a year later, I was baptized into Christ. I became a Christian, you know, and then I studied uh, with that, you know, after studying with that local preacher, you know, and then 16 years later, you know, going off to preaching school, you know, to become a preacher of the gospel. And when I think back on that account, again, uh, maybe, uh, you know, it's maybe it's not as special to you as it is to me, but I see God's hand all over that, the providence of God all over that, sending you know, a, a family from Kansas to Michigan and for us to be in that same class together and to uh, converse and to uh, study the gospel together. You know, I see God's providence in all of that. And again, you and I, we all have our conversion stories. You and I all have those stories uh, that, that, that we can relate to, that we uh, can use to God's glory. Use those to God's glory by telling people what Jesus has done for you. And especially, remember the, the, the demoniac? Look what it says in verse 20. It says that everyone was amazed. They were amazed at this man's uh, personal account of him coming into contact of Jesus. And when we share what Christ has done for you and me, you know, we really do. We do three things. Number one, we confirm that change has taken place in our lives for the better. We, number two, we give glory to God with that change. And number three, you know, we encourage others to, to accept his grace by obeying the gospel. You know, Ricky read for us Psalm, chapter, or Psalm 66, verse 16. Again, it says, come and hear all who fear God. And I will tell of what he has done for my soul. Friends, we, we need to get out there, uh, evangelize our home, uh, our friends and family, and tell them uh, what Jesus has done for us. Well, th- this morning, as we conclude this lesson, you know, again, wouldn't you like to spend a day in the life uh, in the first century and follow Jesus around? You know, again, we would see some amazing things, but also I'm sure we would see some unnerving circumstances as well. You know, we could witness just how uh, individuals, you know, respond to Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, And we can notice that men, or excuse me, demons weren't the only hindrances to his ministry, but also men were too as well. Men of hard hearts and short-sightedness, turning away because it was too costly, uh, because uh, there were too many sacrifices involved and self-sabotaging their own lives. But are you like any of the responders in this story? Uh, Again, don't be afraid to commit yourself to Christ. 
We rush to him, but then we get fearful. Don't be afraid. Don't push him out of our lives either. We know that he has done good things, but we tend to want to push him away. Don't do that as well. But be like the former demoniac man in Mark chapter 5 who accepted his mission and proclaimed the great things he has done in your life. There's an account in the book of Acts. Again, as we conclude in Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 14 and 15, where, where Paul and his companions are going over into Macedonia. They get that vision, the Macedonian call to go into Europe and preach the gospel. And he meets this man by the name of Lydia. And the text says this. It says, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart. To respond to the things spoken by Paul. Paul preached to her the gospel and the text says that she responded to those things. And you you know how she responded? The next verse tells us that she and her household were baptized into Christ. Friends, won't you respond this morning? As we offer the invitation this morning, if you're here with us and you're not a Christian, won't you respond like Lydia and her household when they heard the gospel, that they needed to hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the son of God, to repent of their sins, confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of their sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you uh, to his church. Or if you're here this this morning, uh, a Christian, uh, but maybe you're struggling. Uh, Maybe you need the prayers of this church. Maybe you need encouragement. Uh, Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Again, there's no better time to do that uh, than this morning. Again, the, the question I ask you, how will you respond to Jesus this morning as together we stand and sing this song of invitation?